Good afternoon. Um, our next reading is uh, from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, to uh, chapter 5, verse 10. If you're following along on the Church Bibles, you'll find that on page 1003. Um, okay, starting at verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience, through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being de designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Thank you, Matt, and thank you to our musicians, and thank you to those who've led, read, and uh, prayed. Now, if you can have your Bibles open or on your phones at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, 14, through to chapter 5, verse 10, and the notes on the back of the service sheet uh, will help us. Now, our subject matter in Hebrews for uh, the coming uh, number of weeks, really much of the time up until Advent, uh, which is not very far away, I can tell you exactly how many days, is Jesus as our high priest. Jesus as our priest. Now, I think if you're a Christian, um, you will... Uh, you will know a lot about a lot of things about Jesus, but I wonder if this part of who Jesus is, that he is our high priest, is something that we have perhaps paid less attention to than we uh, should. And the book of Hebrews really focuses and majors uh, on this. I wonder if we are perhaps a little uh, suspicious in our traditions about whether or not we need a priest. Now, we've heard uh, Jay and talk about the, the offices or ministries that you have in a church. He's talked about elders and deacons. Now, Jay and Rog and I are what you would call pastors, full-time uh, elders. And uh, I hope you feel that you uh, might need a pastor. But you do not need a pastor nearly as much as you need a priest. Now, that might come as a little bit, but that's what the Bible says. You can do without us, but you cannot do without Jesus, your priest. Now, 
here, rightly, we would part company with some major traditions in the worldwide church. Because there is only one priest that we need. And that priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews is going to teach us a lot about Jesus as our priest. Now, you'll see on the sheet there that I've said it is challenging. It is. Um, it's not milk. This is solid food. It's a Michelin star kind of diet for the coming uh, weeks. Um, you've got to, you may not, well, I think with Michelin star food, you may not love it all the time, but you do admire it. And this merits our really careful attention. It's going to merit our prayerful study. It's going to merit our meditating on the Word of God. Um, and just to let you know that those of us who are preaching it and teaching it are really having to work really hard to get the heart of what's going on in these uh, chapters. It is challenging. And one of the, the applications of that, we'll see this next week, is that as Christians, we need to not simply uh, come on a Sunday or come to our small groups with a desire simply to drink uh, milk. We need to come wanting solids solid food, and it's really rewarding. And as challenging as it is, so also it is a wonderful, wonderful stuff. It really is. And if we come over as enthusiastic, well, it's because all that we have done as preachers has gone ahead of you for a few days in the week. It's wonderful, wonderful uh, stuff. And it's extraordinarily practical. Now, that, that's taken me by surprise as I've studied Hebrews to teach it. We're going to learn a lot about Jesus as high priest. We're going to learn about what it means that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll explain what all of that means. We'll talk about his once and for all atoning sacrifice. And what's really struck me is how practical that will all be. Now, let me show you that by pointing you to chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And uh, we looked at this last week. It concludes the previous section and uh, starts uh, this section. Now, these verses, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, are like a preface for all that follows in the next few chapters about Jesus as our priest. Normally, uh, you know, a sermon goes like this. Explanation followed by application. And what Hebrews does is we get application at the start and then lots of explanation to follow. The application of the fact that Jesus is our high priest is chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And we'll come back to this application every single uh, time. And the more we get our heads around how wonderful it is that Jesus is our high priest, it will cash out in the application in these verses. Now look how practical uh, it is. Uh, there are two applications. You'll see them on the uh, service sheet. The first is in verse 14, that we hold fast our confession. Now, there is not a week that goes by now in Chalmers when we do not hear from somebody, either at school or at uni or in their job, where they are feeling increasingly under pressure to hold fast to the confession about the truth of the gospel and the word of God. 
as our culture begins to, like a, a kind of tide coming in onto a beach, just come up to our feet in all sorts of areas of life, and it is not easy to hold fast to our confession. And we saw that in the Parliament this week with the MSPs that, in conscience, did not vote with the whip on an important matter. That was not easy for them to do. It is not easy to hold fast to the confession of orthodox Christian truth. Now, holding fast to one's confession is not simply holding fast to what we believe. It also means holding fast to our willingness to confess the truth about Jesus Christ, to speak about Him when opportunities arise, to speak about Him when we hear someone uh, blaspheming or taking the Lord's name in vain. Jesus said, whoever confesses my name before people, I will confess their name before God. Do you find it easy? And here's a real live example. If you're in a lift, and someone in the lift takes the name of the Lord Jesus in vain or blasphemes, to say anything. John Stott wrote a little book. It's not a well-known book. It's called The Sound of Our Silence. Now, the wonderful thing, and we'll see this later about Jesus being our high priest, is that he gives us help in these situations. He prays that, to God that God will help us, and, but if we don't, then he that will not feel guilty about it. It's a marvelous dynamic. But do you find that easy? Do you find it easy to, when an opportunity presents itself, to speak about Jesus? And that's the practical stuff that roots itself around the fact that Jesus is our high priest. Now look at the second practical application, a wonderful verse, verse 16. We will return to this again and again. And as we study Hebrews and learn all about what it means that Jesus is our high priest, we will find ourselves, as we are beginning to do, and it's wonderful to see this happening in people's lives, your lives, my life, we will with confidence, more confidence than perhaps we once had, because we know who He is, Jesus. We know more about His priestly office. We will draw near to the throne of grace where He is, and we will do so in order to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Now, here's the practical cashing out of this. Are you ever in need? Are you ever in need in your life? Let me put it another way. Is there ever a day that you are not in need in some way? You see, this is in the realm of 
reading your Bible and praying every day, that's not a law, it's a means of grace. Because we have needs every day. Are you ever in need? Now, we are in need of God's grace and His help every day. But are there spells in your life where you are so deeply conscious of your need that you can hardly hold on with your fingertips to your faith in God? Dark times, spells of struggling with sin and temptation, circumstances that you cannot fathom, suffering that you cannot understand. And even if you accept the suffering that has come to you in your life and you do not doubt God's will, you have no confidence that you will endure, survive, stay strong, come out of the other end of that suffering. Now, these are precious verses, like chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 14, holding fast our confession, is right where it's at in our culture. And the way we do so is by faith in Jesus Christ and in one particular aspect of His person, that He is our great high priest. Now, that's the application, and I hope you agree it is practical and relevant, and we will return to it again and again. Let's turn, though, to chapter 5, verses 1 uh, to, to 10. And chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, what, what we get here is uh, an explanation of the qualifications to be a high priest in the Old Covenant, followed by an explanation uh, as to why Jesus perfectly fits the qualifications to be a high priest. Now, why do we get that? Well, you've got to understand the original readers or hearers of the book of Hebrews were Jewish Christians, Jews who had been converted, who followed Jesus Christ. And they were like, uh, in the first century, standing in a rip current. There was a huge pressure on them to go back to their Judaism, a huge pressure and a real tug in their hearts partly because that was the mainstream, it's where everyone else was, and partly because they missed stuff like having a person who was a priest, a high priest, to represent them. And the author to the Hebrew Christians, the Jewish Christians, is saying to them, Luke, these are the qualifications to be a high priest, and you do have a high priest. You've got Jesus, and he way surpasses what you once had. Now, that's the dynamic that's going on here. Now, what you get in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 5 are the qualifications to be a high priest uh, under the Old Covenant. And I bet if I told you that you're going to get uh, five minutes on the qualifications for the Levitical priesthood, you might not have come this morning. But now you look so excited. Because uh, these categories explain who Jesus is. Now, to be a priest in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant period... Uh, there are four, four qualifications, authority, humanity, sympathy, and function. Number one, authority. You could not just choose to be a priest. You had to be of the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And if you wanted to be a high priest, you needed to come from a certain family. And why did God impose these restrictions? It's so that the people would know that the high priest had been called by God, had been appointed, not self-appointed, but appointed by God. And therefore, they carried authority. That's the first qualification. And uh, you can see that in the text. Let me uh, show you. Um, verse uh, 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed, appointed to act. And uh, verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. That's the family within the Levitical tribe. So, authority. Secondly, humanity. For every high priest chosen from among men or among humanity, why did the high priest needed to be a human? Well, think of it like this. If the high priest's function, and this is what a priest does, a priest mediates between sinful humanity and a holy God. A priest is a representative of humanity before a holy God, and therefore the high priest needed to be a human being. Once a year, the high priest went beyond the curtain into the presence of God and sprinkled the blood of the sacrificed animal on the mercy seat, and that high priest came out alive. A human in the presence of God with a sacrifice lives. And he had to be a human. He had to be a human. Now, we'll get to Jesus in just a minute. Thirdly, the high priest had to be uh, sympathetic. Now, sympathetic is the word that uh, is used in Hebrews. You see it in chapter 4, verse uh, 15, uh, and also uh, it is implied uh, in chapter 5 uh, in verses 1 to 10 on two occasions. It's not a great word. Sympathy is a bit soft in our culture. Uh, it, what it really means, it's a strong word. It's a powerful word. It means affinity, understanding, empathy. I really, really understand, and you know that the person who is sympathetic, really understands. You know, in life, what a difference it makes if you are in a time of real need, when someone comes to help you and they look you in the eye and they say, I understand, and you know they do because they have been through it. What a difference that makes. And the high priest needed to be sympathetic to the reasons they were a high priest. And that reason was sin and its effects and its consequences and estrangement from uh, God. So it reads uh, verse uh, 2. The high priest, verse uh, 2 of chapter 5, can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is and the writer doesn't have quite the confidence to say it, ignorant and wayward, beset with weakness. Now, just imagine in the old covenant, the high priest, you would know him as a person. He would go into the presence of God, come out alive. He would sacrifice for you, and you knew that he understood how hard it was to live as a believer. He shares your sinful heart. And then the final 
qualification to be a high priest is you had to do what high priests uh, did. And that was um, verse 1b, the end of verse 1, to offer gifts and sacrifices for uh, uh, sins. Now, the high priest's role was to offer gifts and sacrifices for uh, uh, sins. And central to that, the once-a-year sacrifice uh, in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God, where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animal on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the top of the Ark of the uh, Covenant, and that would appease God's wrath. You had to do that to be a high priest. But it was never a perfect sacrifice for these three reasons. One, it had to be repeated every year. Two, the high priest had himself to make a sacrifice for his own sin in order to be fit to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. It's quite a complicated, flawed system. And thirdly, and this might, you might hear this as shocking, it was incomplete because the blood was from an animal and not a human. I mean, that is shocking. They would take the shed blood of a human in the end. Right, there you go. You've enjoyed that, haven't you? little lecture on the Levitical priesthood. Somebody smile encouragingly. <laughs> but understand that stuff. But that's all you need to understand, five minutes or so. Qualifications, authority, humanity, sympathy, function. Now, let's turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, authority. Under the Old Covenant, the high priest had to come from the tribe of Levi and a particular family within that tribe. They had to be called or appointed by God. We've seen that. They had authority. What of Jesus? Well, read with me verses uh, 5 and 6. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. In other words, so also links with verse 4. No one takes the office of the Levitical priesthood by himself. So also that was true with Christ. Verse 5, um, Christ was appointed by God him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what does this do to mark out Christ as special? For one thing, he gets a direct appointment from God. Okay, that's not true of the Levitical priests. Jesus gets a direct affirmation, a direct commission from God with these two uh, uh, statements. You are my son, you are a priest uh, forever. But what are the content of what these verses uh, mean? Now, it is, what date is it today? The 30th of October. Uh, next Saturday is the 5th of November, fireworks night. Yep. And if you go to a fireworks display, uh, most of the display is taken up with what are called fillers, little fireworks, or quite big little ones, but still not as big as the one that ends the display, which uh, I was told by Google is called a skyrocket. 
And the skyrocket happens at the end of the display. There's a pause, and you think it's finished. And you hear it going off, and it makes a, a kind of noise. I'm not going to try and demonstrate. It goes away up into the sky, and you can see the trail up into the sky. And then there's a delay, and then bang. And that firework throws out massive, massive numbers of whatever it is that fireworks throw out. And it lights up the sky. Now, each one of these quotations here is like one of these skyrockets going off. But the wonderful and the amazing thing is that these two skyrockets that say two different things go off at the same time and at exactly the same time, and all the, the, the lights that come out of the fireworks merge together. What are these two things? Number one, God said to Jesus as our great high priest, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, implicit in that is that Jesus is the eternal son of God. He has always been. He is forever. But much more, this statement is from Psalm 2, verse 7, which is the royal psalm, the coronation psalm. And God is saying, Jesus, your great high priest, is also my royal Davidic king. King? Why king? Why king here? Okay? The next quotation, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, uh, there's a, a, a talk we've been all listening to by a man called Don Carson, who, is, who knows a great deal. And the talk is entitled, uh, Why We Need to Get Excited About Melchizedek. And I promise you that you will. Since Psalm 110. I wonder if you knew that Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Certainly right up there. As really important. Now Melchizedek was a character who appeared at the time of Abraham. He came with no family tree which normally you are given. He had no genealogy. The implication is that he was a forever person. He came and he disappears. And he was the king of Salem, almost certainly Jerusalem, before it became the city of God. And that king priest, he was called the king of righteousness. And uh, in writing Psalm 110, King David knew that there was some significance to this Melchizedek character, and so wrote Psalm 110, and the author of Hebrews picks that up and quotes it here and says, this Lord Jesus Christ, your great high priest, is a priest forever after the order of uh, Melchizedek. Now, what does all this mean? What does all this uh, mean? It means that Jesus your great high priest is also God's eternal king. These two fireworks that the author to the Hebrews sets off, that Jesus is a forever priest, and that as the great high priest, Jesus is also God's Messiah king. These two fireworks are set off together and merge in the sky 
And that's a metaphor, if you like, for two great lines of prophecy in the Old Testament, that the Messiah is both a king and a priest, are fulfilled in this one man, Jesus. Now, what difference does it all make? Well, that he'll never be replaced, he's forever. That as your priest, he is not on earth, he is at the right hand of God. That your priest is a king and your king is a priest. You're all thinking, well, yes. <laughs> What's the application? Now, I think at this stage in Hebrews, on a Monday morning, we meet together as preachers, ostensibly for a training session for our leaders in training, Will and Adam and Amy. But we meet together to have an extra session in truth to study Hebrews because it's hard. And people leading our growth groups for leaders come along. And Kath Buchan, early on in these passages, said, look, what's the application of this? And she said, I think it's just, to try and quote her, wow, what a big Jesus he is. And we can't untangle all of this at the start when the firework goes off at the end of the display. There will be plenty of time for that. The application is to get our heads around that Jesus is not simply qualified to be a priest. He is of a different order, a different purpose. He is a king. He is a priest. He is at the right hand of God. He is the one priest that we all need as humanity. Jesus' authority, his humanity, he had to be human in order to act on our behalf as humanity before God. Uh, our writer refers to verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus had to be human to be our priest. And then, and this is profoundly moving stuff, his sympathy with us. Let's read verse uh, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, you can begin to connect this back to the application. Your high priest understands. He understands your temptations, and he understands your suffering. And there is nowhere that is displayed more powerfully and more movingly than in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Grant read, when Jesus, overwhelmed with anguish and sorrow, cried out to his Father. And his first prayerful cry was that there would be another way, another outworking of God's will. 
And even when he was strengthened by the angel and accepted that his destiny was the cross, Jesus was still overwhelmed with anguish. And I don't think that second time when he was overwhelmed with anguish, he was doubting that this was God's will. I think he was praying in anguish because he did not have the confidence he could endure what he would have to endure in the cross. You see, it's, it's one thing in our lives to, to, to come to terms and accept our circumstances as God's will. But there's a whole other realm which is thinking, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot manage. I cannot deal with it. I cannot endure. I will not come through it. My faith will buckle. And Jesus plumbed these profound depths. He plumbs the depths of our human suffering. He, he cried out, why? And that I find profoundly moving. In the days of his flesh, he cried out, why? In the days of of our flesh, we cry out, why? Jesus was tempted in every way. He suffered to the depth of human suffering, but he never sinned. And he was sustained. He never sinned, he never doubted until the darkness descended at Calvary and he became sin and he was forsaken. There is nothing, there is nothing that you and I will endure in this life. I'm not going to say, and this is what we always say, that comparatively is less than he endured. That's true. What I'm wanting us to grasp is there's nothing that you and I will experience in this life that he doesn't understand and empathize with and know what we're experiencing. Whatever it is. And that man is your high priest and your king to whom you pray and who prays for you. That's why this is so wonderful and humbling and moving. And that takes us to the function of Jesus as our great high priest. He made a once and for all sacrifice for sin. Verse Eight. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, that does not mean that Jesus was once disobedient or that he was not perfect. It means that he became the perfect, the complete priest by going through Calvary uh, for us. 
Now, I think what the author of Hebrews wants us to do is, is back to the metaphor of the two fireworks going off, the big space rockets. Just to, in your mind's eye, and I don't think it's wrong to do this, so think in your mind's eye, however you want to picture God on his throne, this wonderful, sovereign, fiery, powerful God. Beside him is Jesus Christ. He is a human still. He is still a human. He is still a man. We will get to see him as a man, as a person, as our Savior. And he bears the glory of a king. And one day, everyone will submit to him. But if you see his hands, they have holes in them. And if you see his feet, they have holes in them. Because your king is your priest. And when you fuse these two things together and you trust in him as your savior, then the difference that makes every day is massive. And the difference it makes when you go through these times of a special need I can't find the word to describe it I just want to tell you I see it again and again in people's lives because you can pray to him and when you do not have the strength to pray to him all of these people around you are praying to God through Jesus Christ as our high priest for you. And when they don't have the memory or the strength to pray for you, your high priest is praying for you to God. Now, we will see as we work through this material over the coming weeks, how getting our heads around who Jesus is will make a massive difference to our day-to-day -day lives. Remember the applications that we will hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to what we believe and never, ever give it up. Hold fast to speaking the truth about the Lord Jesus and find grace and mercy and help in times of need. One of the wonderful things about Jesus as our high priest and king is that, say, go back to that lift and somebody blasphemes. How many times have you heard someone blaspheme and said nothing? Quite a lot, if you're like me. You always feel. And every time that happens, the Lord Jesus wants us to say something, and he wants us to, he wants us to confess him before people because he confesses us before God. He wants us to say something. And he, he prays. You might pray, Lord Jesus, give me, give me help to do that. And, and Jesus prays to God for help for you. But then what happens when you don't do it? Immediately Jesus pleads to God that you will not feel guilty because you haven't you're forgiven. It's 
extraordinary thing about our Savior. He wants us to confess his name, but he is the first to forgive us when we fail. Extraordinary. And in the realm of physical pain and mental pain, which for many of you is not far away, it is not alien to you, and in the deep periods of struggling in our lives, to have a high priest who is able to sympathize, and not sympathize like the Levitical priests, I know what you're going through. With Jesus it's different, I know what you're going through, but I have come through it and so will you very different. Let me finish with a quote from a man called Richard of Chichdla. Richard. It's a great quote. Um, it's made it onto a little bit of paper stuck on my wall. Thanks be to you, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you have given me, for all the pains and insults that you have borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, my friend and my brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly day by day. How will that happen when we come on a Sunday and come in our small groups hungry for Michelin star fare and not be content with milk. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that over these coming weeks, as we get our heads around what it means that Jesus is our great high priest, and there is marvelous stuff for us to learn. Yes, it is challenging but it's wonderful. And as we have seen today, it cashes out in very practical, applied ways. Will you teach us more of who you are? And may our lives, therefore, be lived ever more clearly in terms of our understanding of who you are that we would love you ever more dearly and that we would follow you, follow you ever more nearly day by day as individuals and together as a church. And we pray that in the name of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen.